hang on tight. Fish Talk Radio is about to take you on a fishing adventure. You're about to go places you have even yet to desire and revisit familiar favorites with live on-the-water expert insider tips. Now, sit up straight, pay attention, take notes, and join the party for a blue water, white water, and calm water adventure. Check out fish tips and trips online at fishtalkradio.com. And now, the all-natural attitude adjustment. Welcome to Fish Talk Radio. I'm John Hennigan in studio. Today, we're going to be doing something that we've never done before. Fish Talk Radio is about a lot of different topics, a lot of different subjects. We try and cover the world of uh, the oceans and the fresh waters and the fishing. Uh, today, we've got a very important subject. So what we're going to do, for the first time ever, we're going to be focusing only on one subject. It's a very important subject, and we have a very important person in here to talk about it. So we want you to stay through all the way through. We've got uh, a surprise guest calling in from Hawaii, which we're going to be talking to Chris. But uh, let's go ahead and start right now. And we've only got, uh, in just a little intro, uh, we've got Chris uh, Goldblatt. And this is radio. Shaking your head doesn't do it. I'm sorry, Chris. (laughs) Thanks, John. (laughs) Sorry, I thought everybody could see you. (laughs) Now, the camera's not on. But anyway, um, Chris has got some very important stuff that we're going to be talking about. Um, And we would call it a win-win-win. And that is because we think that this is something that the people that are concerned about the water and the uh, environment are going are gonna to win. Um, the habitat's going to win. And those of us that enjoy the water above and below are going to win from this. Um, and for the kind of money that it takes to do it, it's a no-brainer. But we're going to find out, and maybe uh, some people might even be interested in, in getting in touch with Chris and finding out more about it. We're not going to tell you what the subject is quite yet, but we're going to take a quick break. And when we do... Uh, we'd like you to pay close attention because it's some very interesting stuff. And I think it's we've all heard something about it, but this is a little bit different slant, and it's a way to accomplish this win-win-win um, quite easily, actually. Chris, you might as well say hi. You know? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris Colblatt. I'm the founder of the Fish Reef Project. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much okay. for having fishreef.org. me. Fishreef.org. And that's a little going to be, now you know what we're going to be talking about. Okay, we have to go to a quick break, but we're going to be right back with you. Local fishing at its finest is aboard the Stardust. Day and half day trips on Stardust sport fishing are a family affair. Find out what it's like to view Santa Barbara from the water while you are catching dinner. See whales, dolphins, and Channel Islands up close. Spotless boat and friendly crew are perfect for beginner or expert. Get aboard with Jason Diamond and his crew on Stardust sport fishing, operating at a sea landing in the Santa Barbara Harbor. Lake Kachuma is a California treasure. Bald eagles, deer, egrets, foxes, wild turkeys play on the banks and in the trees. Red ear, bluegill, bass and catfish inhabit the waters. Rainbow trout are planted on a regular basis and easily caught from boat or shore. Lake Kachuma Boat Rentals is a key to a successful day on the lake. Call 805-688-4040 for information. Tackle, skiff, or pontoon boat rental. Call Craig at 
4040, 20 minutes north of Santa Barbara, Kachuma Boat Rentals for a day to remember. Vagabundos del Mar Boat and Travel Club has 42 years experience introducing RVers to the joys of Mexico. Specializing in Baja, Vagabundos leads caravans and sponsors fishing tournaments, trailer boat cruises, and weekend getaways in Mexico and the West. Vagabundos del Mar also saves its 10,000 members tons of money on low-cost auto insurance. Stay up to date on Mexican travel with the printed newsletter online at vagabundos.com or call 800-474-BAJA. Clover Pass Resort, Ketchikan, Alaska, is in the heart of the salmon capital of Alaska. Walk a few yards to the dock and throw a line at king, silver, or pink salmon. Just a 90-minute direct flight from Seattle. You can be in your boat fishing the day you arrive. The calm waters at Clover Pass hold schools of salmon as well as halibut and rockfish. Clover Pass offers all-inclusive fishing packages starting under $1,000. For more information, call John at 877-FISHRAP. That's 877-FISHRAP. It's time for you to take a real fun adventure. Join a hosted fishing adventure to Alaska or Baja with the staff of Fish Talk Radio. Real Fun Adventures can book you on any adventure you desire. Bring your fishing friends or meet new ones. Fish Talk Radio gets the best deals from our sponsors to give you the best possible price. Real Fun Trips are inclusive, easy, no-worry packages to the most popular fish grounds. Trips start around $600. Go to reelfunadventures.com. The East Cape of Baja, Mexico is world famous for sport fishing. Dorado, tuna, wahoo, marlin, sailfish, roosterfish, and parco. The Van Warmer Resorts make dreams come true at a price all can afford. Hotel Palmas de Cortez, Playa del Sol, and Hotel Punta Colorado have the biggest and best sport fishing fleet in all of Mexico. Call toll-free to 877-777-TUNA to find out how affordable world-class fishing can be. The finest resorts and the best boats in East Cape. Call 877-777-TUNA. Welcome to Fish Talk Radio. I'm John Hennigan in studio with our very special guest. We have uh, Chris Goldblatt. Now, Chris is an author, and I'm looking at what happened to those books. There we go. Um, he's written a series of books. There's all ten um, that I haven't had a chance to read them yet, but they've been highly recommended. So, the one you've got, the first I'm looking at is Fishing for Success, and I understand that that how you apply what you learn in fishing to the rest of your life. Yeah, it's amazing what you learn on the water. You know, I spent, you know, the better part of the last 30 years on and under the water. And, mm-hmm. and uh, when I got done being a professional fisherman, I went into the business world. And, you know, uh, the college education was nice up there at Humboldt. But really what I use on day-to-day is what I learned fishing, you know. I mean, you know, fishing has its cost-benefit analysis. There's a lot of risk and reward involved. And it applies to business, you know, and every time I make a mistake in business, I go mm-hmm. back and I go, gee whiz, I didn't follow the yeah, suggestions that's right. of my own book. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So now, and there is, uh, there's a lot of analogies, it's, you know, that things that, you know, I'm not as involved as you are, but there's certain things that are universal. It's like, you know, when you're, when you're fishing, you want to go where the fish are. Okay? That's right. So when you're in business, you know, that's not a bad thing to remember. And then things uh you know, similar to that is, you know, first of all, they always say that if you don't catch any fish, if your line's not in the water. That's true. And you, you got to use the right bait. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's there's analogies on and on. And, and um, how to stick to the code group, you know, mm-hmm. people that you build a close alliance with and mm-hmm. you stick with them, you know, um, exploit the opportunities closest to home first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know things like that. And, and they just, they cross well, let's over. Let's just uh, start off with just a real brief history. I know that you're not the kind of person that talks about yourself, but give us just a, a real quick summary as to where you started and why you're sitting here now. 
Uh, well, you know, I, I started by, uh, I speared my first fish when I was six years old, where I grew up down in Paradise Cove in Malibu, and uh, became a pinhead working on the boats out of Malibu when I was 10, and then went to work in the San Diego fleet when I was 12, although I think they thought I was 14, something like that. Uh, and then just had a nice long uh, career in sport and commercial fishing up and down the coast and points beyond, um, imported, exported seafood uh, and things like that. Uh, and then I majored in fisheries and business up there at Humboldt. And when I got out, I decided to um, uh, to look at other things. While I was at Humboldt State, um, I pioneered what is now the, the sustainable seafood movement. Um, and that has become a whole thing in and of itself. And that was sort of the beginning of my uh, conservation career, and that's led towards um, bigger projects like the Fish Reef Project, where mm-hmm. um, you know we're a nonprofit that creates reefs to um, enhance and maintain and conserve our our marine ecosystem. Well, I know that you're a pioneer in the sustainable seafood movement, and but you're also founder of the Fish Reef Projects, and then of course uh, the the easy way to find out about that is a real, real simple. We don't like to give phone numbers and uh, websites because people never remember, but this one they'll remember. Mm-hmm. It's fishreef.org. That's right. Not fisheries, but fishreef.org. Mm-hmm. That's right. So that's a real simple one. If you're sitting at a uh, computer while you're listening, well, of course, if you're listening while at the computer, well, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get a headache over that. But anyway, uh, check that out, and you'll learn a little bit more about what he's doing. And the fish reefs, the fish reef project. What what is the what is the mission and the purpose? It's to restore and enhance the marine ecosystem using mainly artificial reefs um, as the way to do that, and using very special material. Uh, we we mainly focus on something called reef balls, which are underwater igloo shaped objects with holes in them. Uh, they're originally uh, similar materials were pioneered in Japan in the 1960s where they have over 100,000 reefs in Japan at this point and hmm. really um, robust domestic uh, fish stocks as a result. Um, and oh, then yeah, the, because Japan, yeah. you know, for how many centuries, eons, um, has been re- relying on fish. And, you know, when you f- fish that much to feed your people, that kind of depletes the, uh, the the fisheries. So I'd imagine they'd be very interested. Yeah, they... they um, They've really perfected it. They, they, in Japan, it's really interesting. They make reefs the size of apartment buildings down there where on the bottom uh, you have the small fish, and then they kind of move up in apartment buildings till you have the big groupers sitting on the top. Uh, but mostly they settled on objects like what we use to, to, for, that are the, mm-hmm. most, uh, the most productive. Well, the, what you brought into the studio is a miniature version of the... Igloo, yeah, that's probably the best way to call it. It's kind of shaped like a, like a top of a bell, uh, but it has holes in it to the top and all the way around the side. And the material itself is a little bit interesting. It's it's a type of concrete. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's a marine concrete. The actual thing has aggregate on it, little pebbles to increase the surface area. Mm-hmm. Um, the the key to a successful reef um, is two things: is is what the scientists called interstitial area, which is the cave area on the inside. That's really the compounding factor to making a really robust oh. reef system is how much cave area you have combined with a vertical lift. So you need that vertical lift because a lot of reefs have been made out of flat material. So mm-hmm. a lot of seaweed likes, to, yeah. Yeah, seaweed likes to grow on flat material. If you have vertical material, you usually have uh, corals and gargonians that take it over. So the reef ball is a balance between the two because it's a, it's a nice gentle slope. So you get kelp growth on it and then you get those juvenile fish in there. Uh, we we put two out here off of Santa Barbara in June of 2012. 
uh, and amazing fish life. The the Sebastes, where they're the rockfish, uh, seven of them, including Boccaccio, the imperiled salmon grouper, basically. Um, which are which are uh, endangered. Well, it's a recovering species. Mm-hmm. We got uh, vermilion, what we call mm-hmm. red snapper, mm-hmm. and a number of different species. We got 70 rock scallops, 7-0 on two reef balls. Wow. And the rock scallops are neat because they clean the water. They're filter feeders. So you actually can oh. scrub the water with these things. And the kelp that comes up kind of does the same thing too, doesn't it? It does. It, it captures a lot of the, the, the turbidity, the dirt. Mm-hmm. It'll grab the dirt. Um, so where you have reefs, you tend to have cleaner water, uh, and you, you also tend to have lower acid levels. You, 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 tend, you can actually buffer locally um, the acidification issues uh, within uh, an artificial reef system. So what acidification means the acid in the water? Yeah, that's a growing concern because mm-hmm. the locked up carbon dioxide in the ocean can cr- increase acid levels, and that makes it hard for things with calcium-based shells to grow. So things like scallops and oysters and, and, and clams have uh, difficulty growing and higher acid levels, and we can buffer that, mm-hmm. basically. Well, I'm looking at the sample that you gave me, and it, it, there's an enclosure inside. And I know that, you know, from what I know about fishing is that uh, when you're looking for fish, one of the what you want to do is look for structure, whether it's a seamount that comes up only a couple hundred feet below sea level, or if it's rocks, or when you're bass fishing, you know, you're always looking for the for the weeds. And what this does, apparently, by, you know, having this, this structure, the larger predators can't get inside. Well, I mean, some the by larger predators, you mean uh, marine, Big sharks. marine <laughs> yeah, mammals or yeah, sharks. Yeah, that's yeah, true, yeah. yeah. What it does, it, it allows um, more juvenile fish yeah. mm-hmm. to have uh, a safe haven have a safe haven and become fish of breeding size mm-hmm. so it be it's an amplifier effect but if you go all the way down to the microscopic level down to the mm-hmm. planktonic level mm-hmm. hard bottom is a limiting factor to marine life so plankton drifts along and mm-hmm. if it doesn't find hard bottom it dies it becomes what you call detritus so by just putting a little bit more hard bottom you allow more plankton to settle and grow and become plants and animals mm-hmm. and it's the beginning of the food chain and then once they essentially hatch, then there's a place for them to hide and escape predation and grow into fish that can then well, spawn. This this seems like such a no-brainer, it but is, yeah. um, there's a lot of people that don't believe this is the best way to manage our fisheries. Um, so, you know, what we'd, what we'd like to do, uh, maybe it's covered in the, in the next segment mm-hmm. about is to what... Uh, uh, what are the downside or, you know, the, mm. the pitfalls or, you know, what's, what's the negative, if there is one, uh, to, to creating artificial reefs? Because it has not been widely accepted by all of our, um, say, environmentalist community. Uh, I'll, I think that you'll find that um, there's 500,000 of these reef balls around the world and there's heavy, heavy science and support that there's a net positive production as far as biomass, mm-hmm. as far as corals and kelp and things like that. The only question is on fish themselves. Um, and there's really good studies that have come out of our local school, UCSB, mm-hmm. where they've looked at exactly that. And, and the indications are that, it, that there is a net positive. Well, now we're going we're gonna to find out. As a matter of fact, we're really going to find out because we have a, a good friend of mine, a great guy that we're going to bring on as soon as we come back from the break. And this is Carl. Uh, Vicente that uh, resides in Hawaii, and uh, he used to have a a, a dive shop, and he's very involved in this. So we're going to find out from him as soon as we get back. You are listening to Fish Talk Radio. Be right back with you. 
S-A-N-D-O-S is how to spell luxury resort in downtown Cabo San Lucas. Sandos Finistera Los Cabos is the only five-star all-inclusive on the beach next to the marina in Cabo San Lucas. Angler-friendly Sandos Finistera Los Cabos is now an affordable world-class resort with the finest accommodations, food, and location anywhere. Enjoy your Cabo fishing adventure as you never have. Visit Sandos.com and use discount code FISHTALK. World-class golf, fishing, and diving in the clear, warm waters of the Sea of Cortez with a true five-star resort. The Grand Heritage Hotel and Resort at Costa Baja, great value and without the hustle of other parts of Baja. On the white sand beach with Espirito Santos Island minutes away. Signature restaurants, pools, and accommodations for an intimate weekend, weddings, or corporate events. On the web at CostaBajaResort.com. The road stretches for miles in front of you, and with the Ram 1500, you'll be able to reach mile after open mile. It gets a best-in-class 25 miles per gallon highway, so your destination won't just be determined by your gas gauge, but by your gauge for achievement. And the Ram 1500 is the first-ever back-to-back Motor Trend Truck of the Year. Guts. Glory. Ram. See your local Ram dealer today for great deals. EPA estimated 25 MPG highway based on V6 4x2. It's time for you to take a real fun adventure. Join a hosted fishing adventure to Alaska or Baja with the staff of Fish Talk Radio. Real Fun Adventures can book you on any adventure you desire. Bring your fishing friends or meet new ones. Fish Talk Radio gets the best deals from our sponsors to give you the best possible price. Real Fun Trips are inclusive, easy, no-worry packages to the most popular fish grounds. Trips start around $600. Go to reelfunadventures.com. The Santa Barbara Channel offers some of the most productive sport fishing in the world. Channel Island Sport Fishing offers the most boats to enjoy it. Call 805-382-1612. At Channel Island Sport Fishing, you pick the time and place you want to go. Nearshore halibut, calico bass and rockfish, or fish the Channel Islands for white sea bass and yellowtail. For whale watching and private charters, Channel Island Sport Fishing in Oxnard has clean, modern boats with professional, friendly crews. Make your reservations for a deep-sea adventure by calling 805-382-1612. Vagabundos Delmar Boat and Travel Club has 42 years experience introducing RVers to the joys of Mexico. Specializing in Baja, Vagabundos leads caravans and sponsors fishing tournaments, trailer boat cruises, and weekend getaways in Mexico and the West. Vagabundos Delmar also saves its 10,000 members tons of money on low-cost auto insurance. Stay up to date on Mexican travel with the printed newsletter online at vagabundos.com or call 800-474-BAJA. They're in the water, look at them shine. There goes a big one, that one is mine. Welcome to Cork and Fork Radio. I'm in the studio with John Hennigan. I am John Hennigan. And I'm in the studio with Chris Goldblatt. And we also have a very special guest that is uh, with us today from Hawaii, I believe on the, the island of Oahu, which, and he, Carl Vicente, is also very much involved in what we're talking about. And we're going to bring Carl in in just a minute, <clears throat> and we're going to get Chris a, a chance to kind of better explain what it is uh, that you're putting together. You've had, you've already got some success, but what you're looking to do is take it on a larger scale, and of course, money is a big part of it. It is. I mean, the, the um, state of California and the state of Hawaii 
Uh, they technically have reefing programs, but they're more or less non-functional. The, the rest of the states in the Union, including the seaside states, including the Great Lakes, have robust reef-making programs because they acknowledge the fact that there's a net positive in terms of fisheries and mm-hmm. biomass and cleaning the environment and offsetting human impacts. Um, and there's a federal fishing tax on every hook and sinker that you buy that goes to the federal government. They dole it back to the state uh, fisheries agencies. And then uh, those fisheries agencies spend it on making artificial reefs. California gets that money, uh, but they do other things with it. I don't know exactly what they do with it, but they don't make reefs. It kind of disappears into a black hole. Is that what you're saying? It, it does. I'm being yeah. nice there. So um, to back up to 1957, they, they made the first artificial reef off where I grew up in Paradise Cove out of Studebakers. Mm-hmm. It lasted seven years. They counted 22,000 fish on it, and then they rotted out. And then there was a big wave of making reefs out of quarry rock in the 1980s where Department of Fish and Game made uh, 80 beautiful quarry rock reefs, which are there. If you look at our website, fishreef.org, we've begun sort of an anthology where we film each one of these because there's no studies, there's no science, or very little, uh, to where even the government agencies don't even know how these reefs are performing. So we're providing that service to the public so they can people can see, hey, man, this is something really valuable. We need more of it. Mm-hmm. Well, as we mentioned, there are some people, um, and I think that there's some people that are probably consider themselves environmentalists that don't believe that artificial reefs actually work in creating new fish. They say mm-hmm. that they attract fish, but that doesn't mean they really help overall population. But uh, let's go ahead and bring Carl in on this subject, and maybe that both of you can, can talk about that a little bit. Uh, Carl, have you, have you found uh, that type of resistance in Hawaii? Um, very minimal, and um, the significance in Hawaii uh, as to other states is there's no program that's structured to have a program for benefiting, you know, artificial reefing. And and that's where things need to be brought to the next level. I mean, people, a lot of people get it. The benefits of artificial reefing impact a state like Hawaii dramatically. It, it, it helps fisheries. It helps science, research. It involves all the educational institutions and marine sciences programs. It helps with the conservation and development of uh, topography and resources that we have. The coastal coral reefs in Hawaii are are a bit different. They're they're a a volcanic state. So the reefs are unique in that sense. And then there is a lot of barren topography here. And that's where artificial reefing can help. Well, it, it can help Car- and de- develop indigenous fish uh, from our state perspective, and it can help with fisheries. And all of those programs are, are, are highly beneficial. But more so, John, it impacts every aspect of the vital community that we have. It impacts the business, and therefore you can create more businesses and all different aspects of, of what reefing does. It could present more snorkeling sites, more diving sites, more fishing sites. That's and very, that's very don't true. These have to be conservation districts, perhaps, but it can be inclusive of every aspect of our community. The other thing it does in a state like Hawaii, it could be a 
a very valuable attraction and mm-hmm. that the $80 million that are spent on direct travel from a dive perspective for people to go to places like Mexico, Cozumel, those type of, uh, of destinations, we don't have that drive here because we don't have enough of the coastal inshore reefing and development, and therefore we get overused at management sites like Hanama Bay, and then we're very restricted because the 405 different species of fish that reside here in our beautiful state are not cultivated mm-hmm. and they're not cared for in such a way where artificial reefs would provide that, habitat, that, that's absolutely would provide true, research, science, education, all the benefits to everybody. And, and what I mean by that as well from a business perspective more people traveling on our airlines, more people staying at our hotels, more people here spending money for food and beverage. If on I could just interject, Carl, about, about the, the, um, the uh, you know, I've been told by my friends uh, over in Hawaii that one of the Hawaiian words for fishermen is steward, right? That historically the fishermen were the stewards of the resource. And I think it's very important that as a group of people that we consider ourselves stewards of the resource and be leaders uh, and not followers and reactionaries. And this is, this is a way to lead the movement. And, you know, historically the Hawaiians got that. And, and I think that the fishing community at large, I, I can reference, say, you know, the duck hunters. If there were no duck hunters, there'd be no ducks. Hmm. And, mm-hmm. and in California, um, the fishermen are almost solely responsible for the recovery of the white sea bass here. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that's, that's the strongest example I can give. When I was a kid, white sea bass were very far and few between, mm-hmm. and, they, and they recovered. So, so we can really set the set this precedent that that we're the ones taking charge because um, we're we're the reality is we're closest to the resource in a lot of ways. We see it on a regular basis. We we see it, we feel it, we breathe it, we live it. If you look at the ocean as sort of the collective immune system of the planet, mm-hmm. um, if you make that immune system as strong as possible, then everything is healthier. And if you look at the reef balls as sort of vitamins within that hmm. immune system, you really boost the whole thing up. But I want to speak just to one second about, uh, you know, this this question rears its head over and over again, so I might as well get to it. The attraction versus production question. Does it attract or produce? There's no question that the benthic animals, the corals, the kelp, the scallops, it's net net production. It creates more absolutely. And the science is leaning towards, yes, that there's a net production on fish. But I need to qualify that by saying that the reef has to be large enough to be a net production unit. It has to feed itself. If you throw one reef ball down there, yes, it is an attractant. If you throw 2,000 of them down there, now you've created a self-sustaining mm, ecosystem. A mm-hmm. Yeah, a nursery of types. And so the question really is, if you put reefs in the water, regardless of attraction versus production or regardless of fishing pressure, will you have more life? And the answer unequivocally is yes. And anybody who doubts that just doesn't spend time in the water. They just don't go down and look at what reefs do. I've been looking at artificial reefs since I was 12 years old. I know what they do. Millions of people around the world know what they do. There, there, there really is no question. If, if there's opposition, it, it generally comes from a place of ignorance. Um, a lot of the groups that I've talked to— I didn't to, say that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the groups that I've talked to that might have yeah. originally opposed, yeah. by the time right. they've seen what we've done and what we can yeah. do— uh, they'll support it. I've even talked in front of groups like Surfrider, and they came out, and you know, individuals in there came out in support of it. So, 
the opposition is almost almost negligent uh, or negligible, mm-hmm. almost not even there. Mm-hmm. So the science is is well. Part of the problem is there's not a lot of science that uh, that's verifiable, but. Um, what you're with what you're doing and the success that you had that is verifiable. Well, it is. Yeah. Well, no, there's major studies that have occurred here at UCSB. I'd like to point out one example in front of the San Onofre nuclear power plant, uh, Southern California Edison uh, made a 174 acre reef that came online 10 years ago. And the studies from UCSB have shown that that reef um, attracts uh, and produces at least as well as a natural reef. They haven't gone so far as to say, yes, there's more net fish production. Um, I know that studies have been done on on some of the oil rigs that do say uh, that there is likely a net fish production or, or, or some uh, slightly blurry language. They, they always stop just short of it because, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's what they do. Well, you know, this this is a quick thought for Carla. Just we got a, we've only got about a minute left. But I just want to make one quick comment. Um, there's a push for marine sanctuaries for no fishing zones, and I it's, I think it's very coincidental that the areas that they want to close off close off are all where the reefs are. So <laughs> that is, that's what a coincidence. But if they don't think reefs work, then why are they trying to protect and, that? That's a very that, good point. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. real quick, and real quick, if I may. You know, here's here's the point that you're making, and I understand what they're trying to do from a preservation perspective, but we're conservationists at heart, and here's what we're trying to do. And if we have an inclusive message and we talk to everybody about all the beneficial factors in reefing and artificial reefing, then we will have nobody standing in opposition. I can guarantee that. Mm-hmm. It's the lack of information and communication throughout the entire spectrum of the community, from the neighborhood board through the fire departments and rescue departments and coast guards and shipping lanes and matchings, as Chris brought out. But Mm -hmm. everybody, it has to be an inclusive process, Mm -hmm. and you'll find that these people grab onto this and they'll love it. Well, Carl, we're going to keep you around if you don't mind. We're going to have to go to a break uh, here in about 30 seconds. But I, I think when I come back, I want to ask the question about topography and where reefs work and where they may not work. So if uh, if you can, I'd like you to stick around for a while. We really enjoy having you, and uh, just a great subject that I think more people need to learn a lot more about. And, of course, you are listening to fishtalkradio.com. Go to our Facebook, and uh, you can learn about some of the guests that are on the show today. Thanks for We'll be right back. I'm John Hennigan, host of Fish Talk Radio. This is Common Sense Conservation, brought to you by Santa Monica Seafood. We are talking to Captain Sig Hansen. Captain Sig, give us a real quick idea about sustainable fishing that you're involved with. Well, as far as sustainability, I think Alaska has really set the bar. We took 40 to 45 percent of the male crab off the ground, and these days we take 15, and I'm still seeing 
swings both ways, both up and down, as far as these stocks are concerned. As far as sustainability, it's all about the ecosystem, and the reality is, you know, especially for the crab population, there's so much predation that that's really what affects these swings in population. You've got a lot of predators. You've got a lot of cod and halibut and the elephant sole, right. and so you've got these large swings. Is this by regulation, or are the fishermen actually aware of this? I think the fishermen are aware of it, but as far as regulatory, you know, the scientists just go by what they see. But, you know, there's always a reason for the madness, and they don't always want to see the reason behind the madness. They right. just look at the numbers okay. of what they see in front of them there. But for me, I look at the past. Why did this swing happen? And it's very obvious but it's just they can't always prove okay. it. Well, but for we, me, it's common sense. I know why. There you go. Thank you, Captain Sig Hansen. This is Common Sense Conservation, brought to you by Santa Monica Seafood. Santa Monica Seafoods works for sustainable fisheries. Cape of Baja, Mexico is world famous for sport fishing. Dorado, tuna, wahoo, marlin, sailfish, roosterfish, and parco. The Van Warmer Resorts make dreams come true at a price all can afford. Hotel Palmas de Cortez, Playa del Sol, and Hotel Punta Colorado have the biggest and best sport fishing fleet in all of Mexico. Call toll-free to 877-777-TUNA to find out how affordable world-class fishing can be. The finest resorts and the best boats in East Cape. Call 877-777-TUNA. First named La Paz in 1566, the fourth largest municipality in Mexico still has a provincial Mexican atmosphere. On the Sea of Cortez, the most biodiverse body of water in the world, La Paz has year-round world-class fishing. With a rich history of pearls, pirates, and legendary fishing, La Paz in Baja Sur makes for the perfect fishing vacation. Spring in La Paz, you catch Trophy Pargo, Giant Yellowtail, and Sierra. Find more at VivaLaPaz.com. Viva La Paz! Welcome back to Fish Talk Radio. I'm John Hennigan in studio with a couple of very special guests. And again, today we're doing something we have never done before, but it's so important and so fascinating. That's what we're doing for the entire program. And I would like to call it a situation of win, win, win. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, Carl from Hawaii, and uh, we have Chris in here. A quick question that I have. Um, what about topography? Uh, do, can you put a reef anywhere, or uh, is there some places it's more effective or some places it's not going to work? Well, nature certainly doesn't care where it puts a reef. So, so high relief structure just shows up at fault lines and boulders fall in the water. So, so the, the natural way is just that it's just kind of a random event. When humans put something down, it, there's a lot to consider. You, you, you know, you asked earlier, to, you know, the question of where does it work best? Well, the, the term work depends on what you want out of it. If, if you put it in a dead zone, and it just makes a little bit more life, uh, and it's not super fishy, well, it's, there's still more life than there was there before. If you want the maximum benefit, you put it in areas that are near a drop-off with high current, um, somewhere where you've done a study to show that you're going to get good recruitment and production mm -hmm. of things. And then there's the fundamental uh, things, like you want to keep them away from pipelines and oil derricks and 
Uh, you want to make sure it's not a navigational hazard. You want to make sure it's not near a surf break. You know, c- kind of the the pragmatic aspects of mm-hmm. it. Well, Carl, Hawaii, most of the coastline length along there drops off pretty quickly, doesn't it? Well, there he is. Uh, Carl, the question was, the uh, coastline of Hawaii, most of it uh, drops off very quickly because they're basically they're mountains. Is that right? That's correct. But, so, but we, have a nice, we have a nice stretch out there that gradually mm-hmm. drops off. And then we got some real quick drop-offs right outside of Pearl Harbor to drop down to 6,000 6, Oh, that's feet. right. So, so we're talking, know, about, talking about placement of reefs, and, and where's a good place to put them? Well, the, the, there's, there's a number of places not to put them, and that's where the, the consideration comes in for all the other users. And it's not just the big users that we're talking about in shipping lanes or, you know, safety, but we're talking about, you know, the, the, the surfers, the, the fishermen, the swimmers. If you take all of those into consideration and you start dialing it back, you put nice built reefs where it would be most conducive to, you know, our environment here in Hawaii. And then you take into consideration the currents and, and everything else. And, you know, we have a lot of people that could be involved in that that are really interested in improvement and the development of our, our fisheries here. That's true, Carl. You, and, and, you know, in Hawaii, you need to watch out for putting stuff in sand channels. Otherwise, what you put in 50 feet of water will end up in... Two thousand feet of water and slide down. You got to you got to watch out for that mm-hmm. for that kind of thing. Well, let's uh, let's go back a little bit to the project that Chris is working on, and I've got sitting in front of me. Um, it's uh, well, I can think of a lot of different things. He calls it like an igloo, and I'd say that that's probably what it looks like. Uh, it's got holes in it, a hole in the top, and the one that I've got is a miniature size. But what size are the ones you put in the water? Oh, uh, they come in a number of different sizes, and it's a technology that's patented by a firm in Florida called the Reefball Foundation, and they they uh, they essentially advise us and provide contractors and material support. Um, they go all the way from a foot tall all the way to six feet tall and six thousand pounds, and they have mm-hmm. fancy names like Goliath Ball and yeah, Ultra okay. Ball and things like that. Right. And the chemistry of it's really important because the, the you have to make them you have to make it the right pH to where it's a marine cement and it attracts versus repels life. Uh, and that is particularly important in Hawaii with the corals. And unfortunately, the uh, Hawaiian reefing program has used what they call comeback cement, which is cement left at the end of the day oh. at a construction site. It tends to be really caustic and hot, so you don't get too much coral growth on it. So that's one of the reasons why we want to mm-hmm. help out uh, essentially uh, – mm-hmm. The agencies in well, Hawaii and, and get and, and help them with structures that they're going to get much better coral growth on it than uh, what Chris, currently is. Could you kind of give a, a an overview of what a reef would look like that you would uh, uh, like to put out? Sure. I mean, as I mentioned before, nature doesn't care. It's it's in, nature's into randomness. Um, in in California, it's a it's um, a little bit more important to us that we have a reef that's in a hub and spoke type situation. Do we have a big central mass that acts like a a city? That, that that's where everything grows. A lot of things can hide. There's a lot of areas where n- no diver can get to in the middle of it. So there are certain areas that are essentially protected in the middle of it. And then there's big branches coming off of this. And the reason we chose that is because the kelp will grow on it, as we've prove, proven through our 19-month pilot project. The kelp will grow on the reef balls. 
but it'll grow in a hub and spoke fashion so you get a lot of edges. And fish love edges, especially breeding fish will use those edges. So we call it like an amplifier effect. Instead of having a a four acre Mm -hmm. reef, uh, we're going to have a, a reef that maybe uh, operates more like a 15-acre a reef as far as its capa- its life-holding capacity. And the other thing is light penetration. The San Onofre Reef, the 170-acre reef, uh, wasn't made by fishermen, uh, and it was made by a, a little bunch of little tiny flat quarry rocks. So they got giant amount of kelp, but it did tend to choke out the light. And the understory, the things that grow underneath it, didn't quite thrive the way that they had hoped. And then, of course, there's dead zones in the middle where you don't have a lot of fish thriving in the middle of this mat. Mm -hmm. Um, The way we're we're constructing our reef, you're going to get adequate light penetration. So everything from the top up is going to get sort of its maximum Mm -hmm. amount of sunlight, maximum amount of edges for fish to come in and and spawn, and then sand in the middle for the flat fish. So you have a more of a complex marine ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Well, Carl enjoys fishing, but his true passion, I think, is scuba diving. Mm -hmm. So, Carl, how does this fit in with with what you you envision? Well, you know, snorkeling and scuba diving and enjoying the water, man, it's it's great for everybody. And this is perfect. You know, artificial reefing and every aspect of it is only going to help develop, you know, the fisheries and the reefs that we have um, out there now, and strategic placement is is key, as we all know. And I think uh, Chris is uh, Chris is is spot on with uh, coming and uh, meeting with the right people and having the right conversations. And you would think that California and Hawaii would be the drivers. We have you know New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, that has more artificial reefs probably than any state in the union. That's absolutely true. California is supposed to be an, an environmental and conservation leader. And there, in, at least from my purview, there is no better way to stimulate the marine ecosystem into being healthy and making up for human impacts, making up for fishing impacts, making up for dirty water runoff, which is a horrible, terrible problem in both California and Hawaii. Mm-hmm. We have to clean the water. Um, we should be at the absolute precipice, the absolute forefront, and currently, there there is no state-sponsored reefing program in California well, and a limited uh, one in uh, Hawaii, and, uh, and where all there is. I'm a little curious, the question is, because water pollution mm-hmm. and some of the heavy metals and all the agriculture runoff mm-hmm. and, and the acidification that you talked about mm-hmm. in the water, how does a reef um, uh, help with that? Uh, well, when it comes to acidification, Scripps Institute of Oceanography tells us that within the kelp ecosystem itself, you have lower amounts of acid, and that comes from increased fish feces that actually buffer hmm. it. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, thanks to the fish poop, right? Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> and, uh, and then the reef balls themselves uh, sequester the acid because of the, the way the pH is set up. They're like giant rollades on the, on the hmm. bottom of the sea floor. So we can create a haven within the kelp forest. Uh, that maybe has a slightly lower acid level. So if acidification becomes a real runaway issue, there could be havens for for essentially the mollusks and the crabs uh, to be able to form shells, which is what Mm. acid does. It Mm. prevents shell formation. Wow, this is interesting stuff. If I I may, a lot of the problems we have with runoff in California and Hawaii are the artificial aqueducts that were put into place and therefore you have no filtration as water comes from the mountain to the oceans. So, you know, I think, you know, if you expand the reefing programs and you look at the aqueduct systems, 
and you do something there as well, that would limit some of, it's another subject matter, but it's the same subject matter as you're talking about when you're talking about filtration. Mm-hmm. Okay, Carl, we've only got about two minutes left, uh, but when you have a kelp forest, it's, it's a plant, so just mm-hmm. like any forest, you know, the forests help uh, filter the air, and they, they take in uh, oxygen and put out carbon dioxide that we need, and they you know, there's, there's a lot of good things. So the kelp itself, does that have something to do with it? It does. Well, the, the kelp will sequester carbon dioxide, not a vast amount, but it, but it will. I mean, if the whole world was covered in kelp, you would be able, you would have a lot less carbon dioxide, uh, cer- certainly out there. Um, uh, when it, you know, it, the dynamic is different on coral reefs. You know, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the more reef structure you have, the more coral you have. So the more you can <clears throat> offset the impacts of coral bleaching and. And uh, the crown of thorns, which is this carnivorous sea star that eats well, all the coral. Let's, uh, before we run out of time, which is coming up quickly, uh, we'll mention one more time. There's a website uh, that even a dummy like me can probably remember after I walk away from here. And that is Fish Reef, right? That, Fishreef.org. Fishreef.org. And you can go there and see all the videos of everything we've done and all of our supporters. And there are many. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Carl, you've been, been a great supporter on that also. If you want to give a plug to somebody, you're more than welcome to. I know that you're involved in a lot of different things over there. Well, DEMA.org is involved, and um, they, I, I'm sure they'd be glad to help out. Can you spell um, that? A program like Chris's. D-E-M-A.org. Okay. D-E-M-A.org. Mm-hmm. They're a good organization, and therefore everything healthy with our environment. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, I think that we've learned that the people that use the water uh, know more about it than maybe some of the people that study the water. And it's, you know, the what you're talking about is it's all natural. I mean, that's the way things used to be before, you know, things got overfished. Look, reefing mm-hmm. is a normal human endeavor. It goes back to the time of the Egyptians. The mm-hmm. Egyptians made reefs. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is very, very exciting stuff. Um, Carl, we really appreciate you coming on. And then, of course, Chris, and I think that uh, we might be see if we can get you guys together real quick. But uh, right now, we're going to have to uh, end this segment. It is uh, fishtalkradio.com. Go to Fish Talk Radio Facebook, and there you can f- learn more about today's program. We appreciate that. We'll be talking to you soon. S-A-N-D-O-S is how to spell luxury resort in downtown Cabo San Lucas. Sandos Finistera Los Cabos is the only five-star all-inclusive on the beach next to the marina in Cabo San Lucas. Angler-friendly Sandos Finistera Los Cabos is now an affordable world-class resort with the finest accommodations, food, and location anywhere. Enjoy your Cabo fishing adventure as you never have. Visit Sandos.com and use discount code FISHTALK. World-class golf, fishing, and diving in the clear, warm waters of the Sea of Cortez with a true five-star resort. The Grand Heritage Hotel and Resort at Costa Baja, great value and without the hustle of other parts of Baja. On the white sand beach with Espirito Santos Island minutes away. Signature restaurants, pools, and accommodations for an intimate weekend, weddings, or corporate events. On the web at costabajaresort.com. 
The East Cape of Baja, Mexico is world famous for sport fishing. Dorado, tuna, wahoo, marlin, sailfish, roosterfish, and parco. The Van Warmer Resorts make dreams come true at a price all can afford. Hotel Palmas de Cortez, Playa del Sol, and Hotel Punta Colorado have the biggest and best sport fishing fleet in all of Mexico. Call toll-free to 877-777-TUNA to find out how affordable world-class fishing can be. The finest resorts and the best boats in East Cape. Call 877-777-TUNA. Vagabundos del Mar Boat and Travel Club has 42 years experience introducing RVers to the joys of Mexico. Specializing in Baja, Vagabundos leads caravans and sponsors fishing tournaments, trailer boat cruises, and weekend getaways in Mexico and the West. Vagabundos del Mar also saves its 10,000 members tons of money on low-cost auto insurance. Stay up to date on Mexican travel with the printed newsletter online at vagabundos.com or call 800-474-BAJA. Want to make your drive more exciting? It starts with Shell V-Power Premium Gasoline. It's Ferrari's choice for improved performance. Shell V-Power removes an average of 60% of performance-robbing gunk on intake valves left by low-quality premium gasolines. And it starts with your very first tank. The result is the kind of performance that gives you more excitement behind the wheel. Choose Shell V-Power Premium Gasoline today and let the excitement begin. It's time for you to take a real fun adventure. Join a hosted fishing adventure to Alaska or Baja with the staff of Fish Talk Radio. Real Fun Adventures can book you on any adventure you desire. Bring your fishing friends or meet new ones. Fish Talk Radio gets the best deals from our sponsors to give you the best possible price. Real Fun Trips are inclusive, easy, no-worry packages to the most popular fish grounds. Trips start around $600. Go to reelfunadventures.com. You can't catch fish. You can't catch fish. Welcome back to Fish Talk Radio. This is John Hennigan in studio, and wow, did I learn a few things or what? <laughs> That's I thought I knew a little bit about it, but I, I think that we've done a tremendous service. And as you mentioned, it's the best way to, to make things happen is to make people understand. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people out there that that you know, maybe know, think, yeah, reefs sound like a good idea. But the detail that we put in and the reason for it is incredible. And before we go any farther, I would like to say if there are people that are listening to the program that would like to help support, they can get their entire reef named after them. That's right. And in, in Santa Barbara, the next step uh, is to make a 40 reef ball pilot study reef off of Henry's Beach. That's where we put the two, mm-hmm. so we know it's a good spot. And the cost to do that is about 150000 bucks, which is a screaming bargain. And our project has been funded by good people like at L.A. Rod and Reel Club, uh, folks like that. Um, but we need a heavy hitter to step up. That covers construction, deployment, and then uh, studying. We, we're going to study it for about a year and a half and then look at the results and make sure everybody in the community, including the environmental community, really sees the benefit and then move forward from there. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to write us a check for 150 grand, it is tax deductible. We're a public nonprofit. And we're not only going to name that pilot reef after you, we're going to name the master reef after you, which is going to be five acres that will be built in that exact spot. And these reefs last for 500 years. Your name will be on that reef. There will be signs on the bluff explaining what an amazing benefit. So would it show are. up on charts that way too? Uh, With that name? We can lobby for that, yeah. uh, especially mm-hmm. some of the private charts mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. uh, NavNet, right. Furuno type stuff. Right. 
Well, it's uh, a lot cheaper than having an island named after you. Or a park or anything. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's a bargain, yeah. but, but we really yeah. need a heavy hitter to step up. If yeah. anybody wants to buy my book, Fishing for Success, it's on Amazon. I donate half of my royalties back to the project itself. That's how much I believe in it. Now, this is pretty much self-funded, isn't it? To a large degree. Uh, yeah. It's been, you know, we're, we're a group of watermen and conservationists yeah. and, and spear mm-hmm. fishermen and stuff like that. And we have self-funded it, but we have had uh, help from, from outside donors, including some of the Hollywood folks. Mm-hmm. That's great. And then, uh, Carl, I, I know that you're also involved in it. And as you mentioned before, uh, it's been frustrating for you because uh, it's difficult to get the funds. Yep, it's a, it's a funding program. And anytime you can support a group of people like Chris, you know, I, I just hope everybody out there from a conservation perspective, those that want responsible use of our natural resources, will all join in and help out. Okay. And before we get too far into it, because we've only got a minute or two left, let's repeat one more time, is first of all, go to Facebook, uh, Fish Talk Radio, and we've got some postings there, or we'll have very quickly, um, about Chris. And uh, we, we're going to mention your name, uh, Carl, but we don't know what to call you. <laughs> Anyway, retired. Retired, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, and it's real easy, is uh, Fish Reef, fishreef.org. Fishreef.org. That's yeah. real simple. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, Carl mentioned another one to go to to get more information on this is DEMA, is that right? That's correct. Okay, DEMA, is it dot .org or? D-E-M-A.org. Yeah, that's it. Okay, perfect. And if you want to go uh, scuba diving, which we haven't really talked too much of that in this in the reefs, but uh, get in touch with uh, Carl, and if you want me to, I'll fix him up. And he's, uh, he's a dive master in Hawaii. And, Carl, we appreciate you coming on very much. So, and good Oh, by the way, the books, the, that's good stuff, Fishing for Success. And then these are what, fictions? Uh, I call them reality-based reality. fiction. Okay, okay yeah. there you go. Yeah. Okay, well, it looks like that is it for this time. Carl, thank you very much. Hope to see you in California real quick. Chris, we hope to be talking to you again, and uh, enjoy yourself in Hawaii. Thank you You are much, listening John. to Fish Talk Radio, and we appreciate you tuning in. And thanks for uh, uh, liking us on Facebook. Bye, everyone. Fishing 